Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the adoptive mother of four. I don't just talk about adoption, I live adoption. We tell stories from all over the world from the perspective of the birth parent, adoptee, and adoptive parent. We talk about adoption and foster care and the real issues that are happening right now. If you're about to start your adoption journey or you need help in your adoption process, we want to connect you to the resources you need. Check out all of our podcasts at adoption-now.com. Well, today is a huge day. I'm so excited. This is the 100th episode. Yay! What? I cannot believe it. I'm telling you, I have learned so much from this show and from every guest that has shared their story. This show has changed my life. And I've said it before, if it hasn't changed anybody else's life, it's changed ours. It's taught me to be a better parent and it's led me to the resources that have changed my children's lives. I would not have known about my daughter's eye issues if I didn't have a guest come on and tell me about children who need eye vision therapy. I mean, there have been so many things that people have been saying that have made me realize, oh my goodness, this is what my child needs. And it's taught me that no matter what we go through, we're not alone. There's always a story for us that somebody else has that we can connect to. So I wanna thank all of you who have shared your hearts and brought us to this 100th episode. To celebrate, we have Reggie Rivers on. Reggie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, it's great to be here. Oh, your voice is great. Thank you. Yes. You know, you're a professional. You're a former NFL running back. You played six seasons with the Denver Broncos. You're the president of a business consulting firm called Corporate Kickoff, president of the Gala team, which helps nonprofits improve their fundraising. And you have an adopted son with your wife, Stephanie. And I'm telling you, you're good at fundraising because that's where we met. (laughs) And when Reggie says, get your paddle up, I was like, okay, I don't even know if I have the money in my bank account, but I'm, (laughs) I'm doing it. I'm giving. I mean, you're very gifted at what you do. Well, thank you. And I, I feel blessed to be able to do the fundraising. I have been a corporate motivational speaker for a lot of years and I was at a National Speakers Association conference in 2012 where they're talking about what's your value proposition? How do you move the needle for your clients? And I thought, I don't know, my corporate clients, they're huge. They're multi-billion dollar companies. I don't move the needle. But then I thought about the few auction events I did every year and thought, you know, if I help them raise an extra $10,000, they're excited. I'm excited. I feel great for weeks. So I came back from that conference saying, I want to do more auctions. And so that in 2013, I did seven of them. This past year, we did 97 what? with six auctioneers. You grew 90 more auctions. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. You're good. You're good. I'm yeah. telling you. In fact, right now, where's my checkbook? I want to write money to some, <laughs> some nonprofit. Wait, we're a nonprofit. Right. Exactly. No, but you're good. And not only that, when we sat down and talked to you, my husband and I, you shared your story about adoption. And so you really are passionate about so many different things. And today we're going to talk about that story. So you and your wife, Stephanie, you did not want children. Is that correct? Did not. In fact, probably when I was about 21, Even before that, I was around 17, I think the first time I I kind of understood what parenthood was and my, my parents had five kids 
And I saw them raising five kids and I saw the demands that five kids put on them. And I understood that, yeah, being a parent is not for the faint of heart. Like this is a big commitment. And so at 17, I was kind of faintly having this idea. I don't think I want to be a parent. And then at 25, I went to a urologist and said, I'd like to have a vasectomy because my girlfriend at the time had a pregnancy scare. Um, It turned out she wasn't pregnant, but I thought I'm going to accidentally become a dad here and Mm -hmm. and I don't want to do that. Well, the urologist was like, I'm not going to give you a vasectomy. You're 25 years old. You're not married. You've never had any kids. I'm not going to give you a vasectomy. Well, five, fast forward five years later, I'm in another relationship with another girl. There's another pregnancy scare. And I went back to that same urologist, said, I'd like to have a vasectomy. And he said, you haven't changed your mind over these five years? I said, no, I have not. And he said, okay, well, you're still unmarried. You haven't had any kids. But if you insist... Do me this favor. Wait three more months. If you still feel this way three months from now, come back to me and I'll do the vasectomy. Three months to the day, I came back, got the vasectomy. (laughs) So when I met Stephanie, like a year later, and on our first date, or maybe our second date, I told her, hey, listen, I've had a vasectomy. I'm not planning to have any kids. So if that's in your cards, I just want you to let you know up front. And she said, you know... I have uterine fibroids. I'm not even sure if I can have kids. I wasn't planning to have kids either. So we felt like, hey, we're Perfect. a match made in heaven. Great. And we, you know, we start dating, we fall in love, we get married. And that was 14 years ago. Oh my goodness. That is so funny <laughs> that you guys found each other. And so you guys were living just this great life. You're getting plenty of sleep, right? right? <laughs> Probably both working full time, yep. living life. And then what? And then her sister had a, a baby, Malik. And so it was her first child, but her sister was addicted to methamphetamines and was in and out of jail in her adult life. So Malik was born, grandma's basically raising him. Her sister's name is Ebony. When Ebony would get out of jail, she would move into grandma's house. She would help raise Malik briefly, but then she would go back, you know, and, and that was my first introduction to addiction that... When you're not close to somebody who's an addict, it can be very philosophical. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, they should get help. They should do this or that. When you're close to somebody, you realize that, yeah, this is a real thing. Like, she is not under her own control. She was heading back to jail again, and Malik was three and a half. And Stephanie flew out there because Malik was getting to the point where it was too much for grandma. Right. So Stephanie flew out to Ogden, Utah went to the library with Ebony. They signed a, a power of attorney, kind of what, like what you might sign if you were leaving your kid at camp somewhere. And then the next morning, Ebony went in and went to, reported to jail. And Malik, we started making plans. And Malik's going to come home with Stephanie to live with us. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Back the story up. How long had you been married? Oh, that's a good question. We got married in 2005 and Malik was born in 2003. And he came to live with, so we've been married a year. Oh my goodness. Okay. So flip the script. How does she come to you and say, hey, I think we should bring this little boy home. So Malik was born while we were dating. Mm -hmm. And so I got to meet him. She got to meet him. We fell in love with Malik. Mm -hmm you know, over the time in the first two years of his life. And we're watching from a distance. We're from Denver. We're watching in Ogden, Utah. We're kind of seeing what's happening in his life. And we're seeing the strain on grandma and we're seeing Ebony going back and forth. And, you know, it was the situation was getting more and more dire. Actually, at, at one and a half years, we had a conversation. We and, and it was, you know what? We didn't plan to have any kids, but I think God might be telling us mm-hmm. that we're supposed to have Malik. And so at one and a half, we introduced the idea to the family and Ebony was on board with it. She was like, yeah, cause I can't handle this. And I'm, I, I you know, I, I'm addicted and I'm going back to jail again, but 
other members of the family put so much shame on her. Like, Mm -hmm. you're going to give up your baby? What's wrong with you? Why would you do that? Mm -hmm. That she backed off of it. So we we backed off, too. But then at three and a half, and and it was, it's funny how I was so determined to have a vasectomy. Stephanie was so convinced that she was never going to be a parent. But once this situation developed, we were 100% almost from day one that, yeah, this is what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to have Malik. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I mean, your heart's just totally changed. And you know, she was going to lose the child anyway. So if grandma couldn't take care of this child, what were the options? Foster Foster care? Foster care. Right. And you guys weren't going to let that happen. No. And so at three and a half is when she said, okay, how long was she going back to jail for? Did you know? It's indeterminate. You know, mm-hmm. there was always, you know, she would go back for six months, go back for nine months. It, it, we weren't clear, but it was just, there was a period of time, like a, may a 10 year stretch where she was never out of jail for longer than about six months. Okay. So she would come out and she would, you know, they have, she has to have a urine test all the time. And, you know, addiction is real. And so she would fail mm-hmm. her tests all the time and go back. So at three and a half, he knew you guys, but he was with his grandma. And now his mom's going back to jail. I mean, what was he like? Was he confused? You know, he was, in retrospect, we know that he was a little bit detached from everything. Mm-hmm. At the time, he was just a happy-go-lucky kid. He was, you could hand him to anyone and he would be happy. Mm-hmm. And so when he came to stay with us. He had, he had come to visit us for a week by himself before twice. And we were amazed that during that week, like when he was two, just turned two, came for a week, didn't cry for anybody, didn't cry for his grandma, didn't cry for mom, accepted that we're the caregivers at the moment. And he was completely content the whole week. And we thought that's a little weird. Mm -hmm. And then when he came to live with us at three and a half, it was just, you could tell like that first week, it was like the other weeks that he had been there. He was on vacation. And then after about two or three weeks was the first time that he raised any question like, where's grandma? Right. And uh, he said, well, she's at, she's at her house. And he's like, oh, okay. And, you know, he was the kind of kid you could take him to the park. And, you know, other kids would take five steps and look back at their parents and then take five more steps and look back at their parents. Malik, you would take him to the park. He would walk in a straight line, <laughs> would never look back, would just go start playing with other kids. And, you know, it, it was just on the, on the one hand, it made it really easy for right. us to make this transition. But on the other hand, we realized, yeah, that's not quite normal behavior. Right. And so almost a week, the first week he got here, we took him to a child psychologist also for our benefit. We weren't mm-hmm. parents. We're like, we don't even know. He might be exhibiting signs of problems that he's having. We're just not aware of it. So we started going to counseling right away. And after about two years, Malik started to display some of the behaviors you would have expected a younger kid to have. Mm. Someone would ring the doorbell. He would hide behind our legs, even mm. though he's now five years old. Right. Or he would, you know, we'd take him to the park and he would take those five steps and like look back to see if we're still watching him. And so it was interesting to see him as in a delayed basis, start to have those younger right. symptoms. Kind of, it makes me feel teary because that just means he's trusting you, right? Whereas before he wasn't letting people, he didn't trust people because mm-hmm. he was having fun and doing his thing, but where they going to stay and who is going to be caring for him? And when you have one consistent caregiver, the child never even questions if mom's going to be there, but they have that moment of, I'm looking for you. I trust you. I love you. I know you. And when a child goes from caregiver to caregiver, they don't look for anyone. They just, I mean, they're going to look for something for their needs to be met. But like you're saying, like when they're at the park, you know, they just go with the next person that they're with. So it's interesting that you guys knew as first-time parents that that was something that wasn't normal and that you got him the therapy right away. 
I have a question about when you sign paperwork. So you go to Utah, you go to the library, you're going to take this child home. You only had to sign a piece of paper. Why is that? It was a family situation. And so with this um, power of attorney just gave us, you know, the right to take Malik with us. It didn't really give us any any more rights than a camp counselor might have. We could take him to the emergency room if if he got hurt. Mm-hmm. But then later we started to pursue guardianship. Okay. And so that was the moment when Malik's dad got involved. So he had not really been that involved. He would go see Malik periodically. In fact, he was at the house the day Stephanie took Malik. But he sat there and watched her pack up his stuff and didn't say a word, didn't say goodbye, didn't say anything. And then after a year, he called and he said, hey, thanks for watching my son. I want you to send him back. And I was like, well, we're not sending him back. Right. And a matter of fact, I'm glad you called. We'd like for you to sign this guardianship document so that we can become guardians of Malik. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. So that began this whole process we had to go through. And I basically explained to him that, listen, we're not going to send Malik back. We plan to raise Malik, but we we want your consent to do everything that we're going to do. We could try to do it without your consent, mm-hmm. but we want your consent. And if you sign this, Malik's now going to have four parents. Stephanie and right. I will be his parents and you and Ebony will still be his parents. It took a while. It took a year and some coaxing, but eventually he did sign it. Really? And did he come and visit at all? Yes, he did come he and did. visit. And you know, we were scared to death. <laughs> right. He's a pretty tough guy. You know, he's been in and out of jail. He has stabbed people. He has been stabbed. He has, he gets in fights all the time. Mm-hmm. He drinks heavily. And, you know, I can say this stuff now. We have a great relationship with him now. He has matured tremendously. He's now such a positive influence in Malik's life. He, mm-hmm. he talks to Malik once a week, at least sometimes twice a week. He sends him basketball shoes and other stuff. And so they have a great relationship now. But but in the beginning, it was really tense. So he came to visit. We took all the knives out of the kitchen and we put them <laughs> in our bedroom drawers, right? And we were like... I know, mean, that's real. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> intense that you had him stay at your house and hiding knives. Oh my gosh. Did you ever think, what am I doing? You yes. didn't want any kids and now here you are hiding knives. You're involved in kind of the drug world, which is shocking. Right. And now you are bringing this kind of dangerous person into your home for this child, you must have changed a lot and stepped up to a fatherly role that you didn't know was in you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and I, I think I understood right away that with Aaron, the father, that he never had a dad Mm -hmm. and there's an age gap. So Stephanie, I think is 13 years older than her younger sister. Mm -hmm. I'm 50. I'll be 51 next month. I think that I'm probably 15 years older than Aaron. So right away, I kind of understood you know what? This guy's been through a lot. Now his son is here. He's now calling me. He's talking to me. I'm going to pretend like I'm his dad and I'm going to be firm with him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be respectful. I'm going to demand respect from him. And and so that's what would happen. I would be very respectful to him. I, I would call him about things that were going on in Malik's life and let him know that these things are happening. But then he would respond to us sometimes. He would with various epithets and cursing and Mm -hmm. text messages and all of that. And so then we just cut off the contact and just say, listen, we're not going to communicate with you if if it's going to be that way. And we'd stop talking to him for three months or four months. And then we would resume again. We would initiate Mm -hmm. and start again and be respectful. And so over time, he just started to treat me the way I was treating him. So when he came to our house, you know, we were like, 
we all took a deep breath and said, okay, what are we going to do if something happens? We said, well, all of his problems are involve alcohol. Mm -hmm. So there's no drinking in the house. So we just told him before he came, listen, we don't, we don't drink. I don't drink alcohol. Stephanie barely drinks alcohol. We don't drink in our house. So if you can accept that, you're welcome to stay. And he's like, yeah, I can accept that. And so he came, he was on his best behavior. We were on our best behavior. It was a great visit. And he has come and stayed with us probably six times over the, over the years. Wow. And only that first time was the nerve wracking one. The, The rest of them were, um, the second one was also nerve wracking, but the first one was like, we were all on edge. Yeah. I mean, I bet. I want to talk about when you first brought Malik home, how did you tell him you're going to stay here? I mean, did you say, call me dad now? How did he start calling you dad? Because were you Uncle Reggie? I was Uncle Reggie. Yes. We didn't tell him he was staying forever. When we brought him home, we just brought him home. Mm-hmm. And we didn't say, you're, this is now your new home. But he did notice we had eight days notice from when we knew we were taking him to when he arrived. During that eight days, I went shopping and bought a race car bed and we got some other, you know, pictures and posters to put up in his room. Were you excited? Yeah, I was excited, but I was also pretty scared. Mm-hmm. I knew that parenthood wasn't a joke mm-hmm. and I knew that, yeah, we're doing this. I mean, this is for real. But I also knew that once you make the decision to do it, you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not a person who regrets things you know, if I made a choice, I made that choice. I, 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 I might not make it again, but I don't just look in the rearview mirror and say, well, yeah, that's the choice I made at that moment. And I kind of understood that when you make a choice of parenthood, you can't change your mind about it. Like this kid is counting on you. And so I didn't entertain anything other than, yeah, we're going forward and this is a new phase of life. And so he definitely, when he arrived, he, he recognized, oh, I've got a room. Right. Like before he didn't, he, you know, you sleep right. wherever. And now he's like, I got a room and a race car bed and this and that. And we arranged, they found a daycare for him to go to during that time. So no, we didn't tell him. And then the way he started calling us mom and dad, the kids at his preschool really are the ones that caused him to do that. I would show up to to pick him up and they'd be out on the playground at the end of the day. And the kids would see me walking up to the gate and they would yell out, Malik, your dad's here. And Malik would say, that's not my dad. That's my Uncle Reggie. So the next day I arrive and the kids would say, hi, Uncle Reggie. Malik, your dad's here. <laughs> eventually, it was like, not even eventually, it was like six months. There was one day we were sitting in the living room and Malik just looked up at Stephanie and he said, you're my mom, huh? And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of your mom. And he said, and you're my dad. I said, yeah, kind of my dad. He's like, okay. And then he said, Uncle Reggie, can I have some orange juice? <laughs> And so, you know, he understood the concept on his own somehow Mm -hmm. within six or seven months. And then probably within a year, he started calling us mom and dad. Mm -hmm. You're very close to him now. We're going to talk a little bit about that as the story develops. But I want you to address, because I get this question a lot from dads and moms are like, I want to adopt. I'm so excited. My husband has a question and he always says, I don't know if I could love a child. It's not my own blood. Can you just address that for dads? Well, it's a funny thing. Part of the reason I didn't want to be a parent was because of, of kind of that question. I thought, if you have a child, there's no turning back from it. How do you know you're going to love this person? I, I kind of looked at parenthood as like this mail order bride kind of mm-hmm. situation. Like, Lord, send me a bride. I promise I'm going to love her. And, and I think, well, yeah, but I need to know her. I need to know her personality. And that's why I thought about children. And I thought, yeah, I'll probably love my kid, whoever it is, but I I don't know if I'm going to like them, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that was part of my fear of having a child with Malik. We had the benefit of, I met him. 
I got to know him. I fell in love with him as a human being. I, I knew who he was, and that was definitely a big part of it. I think that now that we have become parents, I can recognize that the simple fact that this vulnerable person arrived in our home, I didn't need to know him before we adopted him. I felt like I did. Mm -hmm. I really did. But after he arrived, there's something about the vulnerability of children that just forces you to be like, I got to take care of this person. I mean, look at him. He's, I got to take can't care do anything. of him. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, he almost touched that stove, right? You, you, as, as a man, I think women feel this too, but certainly as a man, there is a heroic imagery that you have of yourself as a father. And I used to think of my father this way as a hero that, man, my father is so strong and he can do anything. And, and I recognize that when Malik came into the house, I understood the difference in strength that I had and that he had. And I recognized that I could scoop him up and save him from things. And that did a lot for me. Mm -hmm. Like it made me feel like a hero. So I, on the front end, I thought that I needed to know Malik and that's I fell in love with him. That's why mm -hmm. on the back end, I could see that if I hadn't known Malik, I probably still would have fallen in love with him. Mm -hmm. ah, so true. That little boy changed your life. Yes, he did. That's what adoption is all about is that you open your life to, to something unexpected. And all of a sudden these little humans change your life and they call out of you what you didn't know was in there. Right. We have to take a break. When we come back, I have a million other questions about Adoption Day, your relationship with his birth parents, and how he's doing as a, he's a teenager now, right? right? And he's playing all the sports, and I'm sure you're so proud. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Adoption Now. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We love all of your feedback, ideas for shows, and applications to be on the show. Email us anytime at april at adoption-now.com. We would love for you to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on iTunes. Then you'll get a new story as soon as the podcast is released. Again, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we have Reggie Rivers, a former running back from the Denver Broncos on. He's telling his adoption story with this little boy, Malik, who's changed your life and Stephanie's life, your wife. Tell us about Adoption Day. In your story, you are fighting with the birth dad, birth mom has gone to jail. I mean, you just got this awakening to this whole life, right? You're like, what am I in? And you're trying to really finalize and make sure that this boy is going to stay with you, be your son and be safe. I mean, tell us about when you finalize and how you got to that point. So we had in dealing with the, the birth father, and I want to emphasize again, we have a great relationship with him now. He mm -hmm. has a great relationship with Malik, but back then it was very contentious. He had grudgingly agreed to sign the guardianship papers. Then maybe six months after that, I contacted him to say, or I'm sorry, actually before the guardianship papers, we contacted him to sign a release so that we could get a passport for Malik. We were going on vacation to Mexico and he resisted. And then after about a month said, okay, I'll sign that. So we signed that so we get a passport. Then he signed mm -hmm. the guardianship papers. Now it was time for the adoption. And so I called him and emailed him and we talked and he said, I'm not gonna do that. And I said, so Aaron, here's my vision of this, that someday Malik is going to be an adult and he's going to have access to all of his paperwork from the whole adoption process. And what I want him to see is that the four of us 
got together and made decisions that we thought were in his best interest. And we're all on the same team. We all love him. We're all his parents. We're all acting on his behalf. If you won't give your consent, we don't have to have your consent. But if we don't get your consent, then we have to prove that you're an unfit parent, that Mm -hmm. you abandoned Malik. And we can prove that. Here's how we can prove that. And I don't want to put that into the record. I don't want Malik to someday read this stuff and see, he said, yeah, I can't do it. I don't, I don't, when Malik's an adult, I don't want to have a conversation Mm -hmm. with him and say, yeah, I quit fighting for you and just gave you up. So I think that he really thought that we couldn't adopt Malik without his consent. Realistically, could he have taken that child? No, no, no. You guys had already done your home study. You had to do that, right? Right. Even if it's blood family, you had to do a home study and Really, he really believed that he had some sort of power in this. But I have heard that a lot, that birth dads don't want their child to look at the paperwork and say, but you signed right here. I see your signature. Right. But the option is, then we had to prove that you were not fit. I mean, that's a hard choice. Right. Both are not great. Right. But it sounds like he decided, okay. He did not. He did not. He he would not sign the papers. And so we had to to go down the road of proving he was unfit. And then, and it was a power thing. You know, he was like, he thought that he could just say, hey, if I don't sign it, then you're never going to, mm-hmm. I'm fine with you guys just being his guardians. I, you know, you're not going to become his real parents. And I talked to him many times. And I said, Aaron, we don't have to have your consent. Malik's been living with us now for three years. Mm-hmm. When we took him from Utah, you didn't contact us for more than a year. And so if you had left your car parked at our house and we started driving it and we started making the payments on it. We might have a legal claim on that car because you abandoned it. Is that's kind of like what what happened with your child? And and he says, "Yeah, I know, but I'm not going to sign anything." So, oh wow, we had to prove it, and we did. And then he didn't he didn't come to the court date. Mm-hmm. He didn't call into the court date, and so it was a non issue. We we just adopted him. I just can't believe he wouldn't sign. So, did you have to then hire a lawyer? And did it make it go longer? It probably made it go a little bit longer. And, and we had a lawyer and there was a guardian ad litem who was assigned on, mm-hmm. on Malik's behalf. And so, yeah, we just kind of followed the process along and it, we could have, I think we took Malik in when he was three and a half. And I think he was six or maybe almost seven when we wow. actually adopted him. That's a long process. Yeah. It could have been faster, but mm-hmm. we just kept waiting for Aaron. We just thought, right. you know, what's the hurry? Malik's here. We'll wait, you know, we'll give him some time to cool off and we'll try again in three months. At that point, did he take your last name? Yes. So what was that like? It was cool. And, and you know, we didn't take away any part of his name. Mm-hmm. So his name was Malik Isaiah Adams. And now his name is Malik Isaiah Adams Rivers. Okay. So I thought it was important that Malik hold on to who he is and who he was born to be. But I was proud that he became Malik Rivers. And I think he was proud to become Malik Rivers. My high school mascot down in San Antonio was the Rohawks, R-O hyphen H-A-W-K-S. And somehow Malik had seen that word or I'd heard heard that word and he just loved it. He just thought it was hilarious. The word Rohawk (laughs) was tickled him. And so he would introduce himself. There was a brief period where he would say his name was Malik Isaiah um, Adams Rivers Rohawk. (laughs) And people were always like, huh? (laughs) It sounded cute, but they're like, huh? What? (laughs) And the other thing we, we really have tried to do is when we first adopted Malik, I started reading about adoption, you know, mm-hmm. right? I didn't uh, know about was adoption that scary now. or good. It was, it was both, right? Uh-huh. It was very educational. I didn't know about a, a resource like what you've put together. I just knew I don't know anything. So one of the things I read was that adoptive children have this longing 
to know their adopt mm-hmm. their birth parents. And it doesn't matter how loving a home they're in. It doesn't matter how old they get. There is this mystery that lives in their head. They have this longing that they'll be 40 years old, 50 years old, 80 years old. And if they've never known who their birth parents were, they will go on a mission and try to find them. So I thought, well, we know who Malik's birth parents are. We should try to keep the door open for as long as we can to let Malik decide at what point he wants to break off contact. And so that's why we kept engaging with Aaron maybe longer than we really needed to, because I didn't want to cut it off for Malik. Well, we had a three-year period where we had to cut it off. Like there was no contact at all because he got belligerent. We had to get a restraining order against him and just things were kind of going crazy. But then after about three years, we reached out to him again and said, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? You know, just want to check in on you. And we've reestablished contact and everything has been great since then. But, and so he and Malik talk on a regular basis and Malik has, has, as he gets older, is making his own judgment about who Aaron is and what kind of relationship he wants to have with them. And, and now I'm, I'm so glad Mm -hmm. that we didn't cut it off early. Yeah. Yeah. Because he can't say you took anything away from him. You just added to his life. Right. And that's really what adoption is about is that there's enough loss So you don't want to cut off the birth parents if you can. And you stayed in it a lot more than people would because it's scary. It's scary when somebody has to do with drugs or alcohol. We have that too. We have very, very high boundaries. But at the same time, I can't just cut her off. I can't not talk to her. I can't involve the children that are biological siblings to my children. They're a part of our family. And that's what adoption is all about. I want to add to their life. I don't want to take away. So at the end of the day, they can say, hey, thanks, mom, for letting us make our own choices. So I think that's so such a great point, so important. I'm very curious to how your wife did in all this, because this is her sister's child, and that's painful in itself that your sister is in jail. How did she attach, and how did she do as a mother? She did great. You know, she she went from aunt to mother, and, you know, the upside of this type of adoption was that she was still Ebony's sister, And grandma still had her grandson Mm -hmm. in the family Mm -hmm. and Stephanie was stepping up into a role and that many people in her family praised her for stepping up to take that role. She really enjoyed being a mother right away. You know, all of it, even the, the struggles of motherhood, I think that it really fulfilled something in her that she had wanted. And we, you know, it took a while. There was a lot of guilt that she had about, she felt like she had put this on me. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, we, we weren't mm-hmm. ha- planning to have kids and now it's her sister who has a baby mm-hmm. and we're adopting her sister's baby. And now it's her sister's baby daddy who's causing mm-hmm. all these problems in our life. And so she would apologize to me and I'll be like, Stephanie, we made this decision together. This isn't, I wasn't forced into this. I fell in love with Malik and we agreed to do this. This is what we did as a married couple. So it doesn't matter that it's happened to be your sister's son. And so I think that part of it she probably didn't get over the guilt of that maybe for eight or nine years that it was still bubble up. Mm -hmm. But I think that she could see in my interactions with Malik and that, yeah, I was truly in love with him. It wasn't, nothing was forced upon me. Okay. From what you have described about Malik, it sounds like, and this happened for us and it happens for a lot of families is that this child is not my blood child, but this child could be my blood child. Like this child is so me. I mean, my son is so me. He does the things I did as a kid. He responds the way that I respond. We are the same. I love this boy. And sometimes he'll say like, oh, mom, I remember when he was little, he said, mom, was I in your tummy? And I was like, 
I had to think about it for a second. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you weren't, but I wish you were. I mean, it's that close. And I'm like that. I see a part of myself and my husband does too with all of our children. It sounds like that happened for you. Like if you were to have a child, it'd be Malik, <laughs> right. a blood child, right? Right. right. You're a lot like, and he's got your personality. He's outgoing. He plays sports. I mean, doesn't that help so much in this whole process? It does. Yeah, it, it really does. And, you know, I'm sure that if Malik was into other things, I would still love him and I would get into these other things. Mm -hmm. But it is nice that he's into the same things I was into when I was in high school. Girls, football, <laughs> basketball, lacrosse, and not necessarily in that order. You know, it's just, right. he, he's a... Uh, you know, and he's, it's fun. He's now almost six feet tall. How he's, old is he? He's 15. Oh my gosh. He's um, 160 pounds and he's a pretty good athlete and he does well at, at all of his sports. Sometimes Stephanie and I, we jokingly say he's got Kanye confidence. Uh -huh. Like, like he'll, <laughs> he'll say, dad, it's football season. Dad, you're not going to have to worry about paying for me to go to college because I'm going to get a scholarship, a D1 scholarship. It's going to have a problem. So then in basketball season, mom and dad, you're not going to have to worry about paying for college for me. I'm going to get a D1 scholarship in basketball. I'm the best player on our team. And I think, well, you might not be, but. <laughs> <laughs> but you keep believing yes, that. Nice. Were you like that as a kid? No, I, I wasn't quite. No, he has more confidence than mm -hmm. I had. In a lot of ways, he has more confidence. It, it's interesting to watch him. I was more, if you pass me the ball and I had the open shot, I would take it and I might make the shot and I was confident, but I wasn't confident enough to say, Hey, give me the ball and I'll make the shot. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have that next layer. Right. Malik has that in lacrosse. He wants to take the shot all the time. And I, I look and I think, wow, I didn't have that. This is something, it's a real asset. You know, that mm -hmm. kind of confidence, that willingness to take the chance, that willingness to say, Hey, I could be the dude. I could be the guy. And then right. when you miss, he's kind of unconscious about it. Like he doesn't notice his misses. <laughs> right. Like, he just keeps going. Yeah. He keeps going. Yeah, Dad, you amazing. see those two goals I made? You know, you took 27 shots, <laughs> <laughs> right. but he doesn't notice the 25 that missed. He right. just notices the two that went in. He's like, woo. Yeah. Oh, I had a great game. <laughs> That's amazing. I think that that is such a gift. I think that you guys have changed his life. Us as adoptive parents, we don't like that when people say, you're amazing or you're a hero. But I can say that because I'm another adoptive parent. You changed his life. You fought for this child. And that confidence would not have come out if you didn't draw it out and didn't give him the safety and the life that he has. What happened with his birth mother? Where is Ebony? She's out of jail now. She's been out for a year and a half. She has another child. Mason is three now, I think. She's raising him. Do you um, think you're going to get that child? I don't. Does that cross your mind? It, it crosses our mind, but I, I don't think, I don't think so. She's doing way better. She, That's and she, good. Yeah. And does she have a relationship with Malik? She does. Yeah. Yeah. What and kind of relationship? It's not a mother son relationship. It's more like siblings or aunts and nephew. I don't think he was ever really attached to Ebony. He knows intellectually that that's his mom, but he thinks of grandma really as his first mom. What's the one piece of advice you have for adoptive families that are in the process, they haven't brought their child home? Well, I would say that, yeah, your life is about to turn upside down. It's like, I have an employee right now. She's 24 years old. She's about to have her first baby in March. Her life's about to turn upside down. She, you know, she got, she's 31 months pregnant. And when you have a baby, whether you're having a birth by birth or by adoption, yeah, it's going to fundamentally change your life in ways that are hard to predict. And for us, it was just, 
this focus on this person who's now living in your home who is not an independent person. It's not a self-sufficient person. You've had guests in your home before. You've gotten up and made breakfast for your guests. You've cleaned up a little bit mm-hmm. after your guests. You know, you you understand what it is to have a guest in your home, but all of a sudden you have a guest who is completely dependent on you. It's never ending. That's right. not encouraging. Well, but it's, it's not encouraging, but it's a burden, but it's also, it brings something out in you that is different than anything you've ever experienced, that the responsibility of raising this little person changes you. I know that when I was trying to teach Malik how to just cross the street by himself to walk to school, you know, I would walk with him and I would explain it, but it's all intellectual. I'm telling him, but he's like, yeah, dad, you're here. I'll, I'll go when you tell me to go. Well, then we started, he was in third or fourth grade. Then I would walk a little bit behind him, like three or four feet behind him. And we get to the intersections and he still wouldn't look at the cars. He'd be like looking over his shoulder at me to see if I'm going to tell him to stop. Well, then I'm walking 20 feet behind him. And then I'm the one day, there's one day I'm like a hundred yards behind him where I realize I'm just a witness at this point. I can't help him. Right. And he's got to cross these streets by himself. And he did it. And putting that responsibility on him changes him in a way. It makes him more aware. And I think the same happens with adoptive parents. When you bring this adopted child home, you've put a responsibility on yourself that is going to change you because you're not going to shirk the responsibility. When the baby's crying in the middle of the night, you're going to get up. And you're going to deal with that. When the baby needs to be changed, you might think, oh, I don't ever want to change a diaper. <laughs> you're going to start changing diapers and have a tolerance for it because it has mm-hmm. to happen. And as kids, they put these demands on you that you can't say no to, and it changes who you are as a person. And you start to feel like a super, I don't know, a superhero, even though you're so put upon. It's like, it's exhausting, but exhilarating at the same time. You're awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Hey, this is our hundredth show. And then you told me... I've play, I played exactly 100 games in the NFL. So we have this in common yes. too. Yes, <laughs> and this might be your number. Right. I mean, maybe you need to go buy a lotto ticket or something. Maybe I don't know. So. This is amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Reggie. Thank you. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and remember all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. <laughs>